Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We are in chapter 4. We will pick up where we left off last time, which is what, verses 6 to 7, and we just might find ourselves in those two verses for a whole time together this evening, because one of the things I want to do is really get into pride. We're going to draw from C.S. Lewis and Peter Kraft, so we're going to be drawing from some huge theological figures to help us better understand pride, given uh, the verses that we will read today, chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. But before we read those verses, I do just want to continue to welcome all of you who are tuning in by way of podcast in the countries of Canada, uh, Mexico, Portugal, Spain, Brazil, uh, Argentina, Chile. You know, recently I had received a question, Joe, are you receiving questions from the international arena? And I am. And the other part of the question is, are those questions different? And they're not. The church we belong to is universal, right? I mean, the word Catholic coming from the Greek katholike literally translates as universal. We belong to a universal church. I really do get a sense of its universality, if you will, when I get questions from you, and they're the same kind of questions that uh, my next-door neighbors ask me, right? And certainly there are uh, cultural differences, and sometimes you see that in the question, but you know what? In the end, the questions are the same. They might be phrased differently, but people want to know about how we are saved. People want to know about Mary. People want to know about purgatory. People want to know about, well, what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Who am I to judge? No matter who you are and where you live, if you belong to the Catholic Church, you're going to find this rich continuity. Why? Because the church that Christ came to establish is a church of continuity. And so, as I get the question asked, are you getting questions from the international arena, and are these questions different? Yes, I am, and no, they're not different. I speak to that now again because it's just another example of uh, the richness of what it means to belong to a universal faith and a universal church. All right, with that, if you want to turn your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. I have applied all this to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brethren, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? As if it were not a gift. Hmm. Okay. What can we say to verse 6 here? Learn by us. So here, Paul is offering an appeal to listen to the shepherds of the church and live according to their example. And this is why Paul really challenges 
the ministers and stewards of the church because he understands that the ministers are the town clock. Everyone's looking at them. So this is why it is important for those who are preaching the faith to first live the faith, that what they preach is an outgrowth of who they are and how they live. What about this phrase, not to go beyond what is written? Here, St. Paul cautions believers to stay within the limits of personal humility defined by the Scriptures, huh? He is referencing specifically to the string of Old Testament warnings about boasting that he's already quoted in this letter. Now, it's very important for us to understand that interpretations of this verse that suggest Paul is restricting the basis for Christian doctrine and morals to what is explicitly set forth in the books of the Bible, otherwise what we know as sola scriptura, scripture alone, are misleading and are untenable. Nothing in the context points to such a broad concern. And if you were to really peel back Paul's epistles, what do you come to find? That he insists elsewhere that even the inspired preaching of the apostles is, is on par with what? But the written Word of God. We read in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, chapter 3, verse 6, Paul talking about staying steadfast to just not the written Word of God, but the oral transmission of the faith. So what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15 is just not sacred scripture, the Word of God written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also sacred tradition, the oral transmission of the faith under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. So very important to just be mindful of that if you were reading this verse and thinking to yourself, huh, you know, what's all that about? All right, so what about this boasting? This is why I wanted to get into pride, my friends, because really when push comes to shove, this is that one sin that we all struggle with. Listen to what C.S. Lewis had to say. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. <laughs> That's from mere Christianity. Brothers and sisters, pride indeed is the greatest sin. It comes not from the world or, or the flesh, but from the devil. It comes from hell. It was the devil's original sin. You ever think about that before? It was the devil's original sin. Pride led him to his fall. So when we slip up in pride, what are we imitating? Who are we imitating? But the devil. No one wants to imitate the devil. But in point of fact, when we slip up in pride, this is what we do. It is the first and greatest sin because it is the violation of the first and greatest commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Pride puts self before God. I love this line from Peter Kreft, 
pride loves yourself with all your heart and soul and mind and strength rather than God. Well, we've turned that commandment upside down, huh? St. Augustine once said in the city of God that everyone in the world belongs to one of two cities. The city of God, which consists of all who love God to the despising of self, or the city of the world who love self to the despising of God. Remember that passage that we just heard this past Sunday, Matthew 6, verse 24. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot rely on God and at the same time put all of your trust in money and riches. And remember that mammon, while we typically define it as riches and wealth, better translates as to trust in money or to trust in wealth or to trust in riches. So do we belong to the city of God or the city of the world? C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce said that there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. <laughs> right? This is why we have said in the past, my friends, that the greatest prayer, the greatest prayer is thy will be done. There's that uh, new hit. And I cannot remember the artist off the top of my head, but the song is thy will be done. And every time I hear that song on K-Love or, or some other outlet, I cannot help but pray those words. Thy will be done. This is the greatest prayer because to pray those words is to essentially surrender yourself to God. And it's that one prayer that draws out the enemy. Because if Satan's original sin was pride, then to say, thy will be done, is to draw that out. In the end, are we going to say, I did it my way, or I did it your way? Hopefully, in that final conversation with Jesus Christ, we will be able to look into his eyes and say, I did it your way. I did it your way. Pride is the greatest sin, my friends, because it is the living heart of every other sin. Every sin says to God, my will be done, as opposed to thy will be done. Pride excludes not only God, but also neighbor. Remember what we just talked about. Pride endorses this love of self with all your heart and soul and mind and strength rather than of God. Well, what's the second part of that commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving self before God, then you're never going to love neighbor. Love neighbor as you ought. Another great line here from Peter Kreft. <laughs> there can only be one number one. In other words, pride is essentially competitive. Are we number one? And I think today, this is something we really need to reflect upon because there really is this elevation of prestige and status, being on the top of the charts, if you will, being number one, and that we will go out of our way to be number one. But what does Jesus say? If you count yourself least, you will be counted the greatest in the kingdom of God. And if you think you are the greatest, 
you have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. So we need to squash out pride. Because again, there can only be one number one. Here we ought to consider St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who, when asked what the four cardinal virtues were, replied, justice, temperance, fortitude, and prudence? No, <laughs> those are the four cardinal virtues. But humility, 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 and humility. If you think you have gotten beyond this single-minded beginning, well, my friends, you are probably proud. In other words, you have not gotten beyond it. If you think you are not in serious danger from your sin of pride, well, then you certainly are. <laughs> if you are even a little proud of your humility, you are probably far too proud. The only way to become humble is to admit that you are what? Proud. The act of saying, I am too proud, is one of the great acts of humility. There's something else here in this discussion on pride that Peter Kreft taps into that I, I want to discuss. I want to read Peter Kreft here. Our typical modern prophets are the new Pharisees. Nearly all our modern psychologies tell us how to be adult, mature, and take charge. Be responsible for your own lives. When you see these ubiquitous code words in catechism textbooks or sex education programs or religious education courses, remember what they are. The old paganism in new dress. Remember what adult suggests in our culture. Remember what adult books, magazines, and movies are alike. Remember that Jesus never told us to be adults, but instead, what did he say in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3? Unless you become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I love that piece by Peter Kraft, especially that point that pride tells us it is a good thing to be adult, especially in the context of what we like, movies, books, magazines. You know, I was in a conversation with my brother not too long ago, and we were talking about the ratings of R and PG-13. I posed two questions to my brother. A, who is it that is determining rated R and PG-13? Because it's not like they're concerned about the salvation of our soul. And what defines the rating R and PG-13? Because I tell you what, I just got done watching a PG-13 movie. And 15, 20 years ago, that would have been rated R. The violence just scenes that did not belong in a PG-13 movie. I think what's important here is the question, who's in charge of my salvation? The person who's putting forth the rating of R and PG-13 or, well, the person you see in the mirror? What's that passage again? Philippians 2 verses 11, 12, 13. You are called to work out your salvation and you do so in fear and trembling. My dear friends, let us not be caught up in the ways of the world and how they might look at entertainment, but ultimately the ways of God, the city of God, and how in the light of belonging to the city of God, 
how we might better deliberate, and how we amuse ourselves. My brother made the point. I have a 13-year-old now, and I sure in the heck don't want him watching some of these PG-13 movies. And it's so, so true. I don't want to chase the rabbit too far into the hole here, but we have to take stock in these kinds of things. And there's a reason why Peter Kreft is talking about this, because if we are ever going to see as we ought, we must first be poor in God and enter into what it means to be a child of God, to be little, to be little, to be like a child. In point of fact, this passage here that we just read, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, when it speaks to the little children, the better translation there is infant. Hmm? And the image there is the infant that is sucking on the mother's breast, that we are so dependent upon God that we would actually lean into God the same way the infant leans into his mother. Very important. Now, I've spoken about humility here as Peter Kreft does, we ought to consider the first beatitude, because if there is a counter-virtue to the sin of pride, well, it is humility, but even we could say more specifically that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If there is any one verse that I have quoted more than any other verse, it is probably Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And remember what is essential to this first beatitude, that it is, my friends, the opening verse to the whole Sermon on the Mount. And remember what we are to juxtapose the Sermon on the Mount against. If the Ten Commandments was the old law of the old covenant, then the Sermon on the Mount, and more specifically the Beatitudes, are the new law of the new covenant. Just as Moses receives the law of the old covenant on a mountaintop, so Jesus delivers on a hilltop the law of the new covenant. And why at the top of a mountain? We see the mountain beyond the mountain, the river beyond the river, earth in light of heaven, vocation in light of sonship, and ultimately all in light of God. So this first beatitude, which is, again, the genesis of the Sermon on the Mount, is foundational to the whole sermon that we call the Charter for Holiness. Why? Because it is that first virtue, which is more about a state of being, a state of surrender, a state of complete and absolute dependence upon God. If the first commandment is foundational to the subsequent nine, then the first beatitude is foundational to the subsequent seven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Just like the deer that yearns and longs for running water, so my soul longs for you, Lord. That's the first beatitude. Okay, that longing for God, that pining for God, that thirst for God that we actually might desire to be with God as much as God desires to be with us. That constant openness, this is the first beatitude. 
And if you're wondering why this is the counter virtue, this beatitude of being poor in spirit, you should wonder no more. Because to be poor in spirit is the antithesis of pride. I love this line from Peter Kreft here. Spiritual poverty is not the finest fruit of virtue. Love is that. But it is the root. What does he mean by that? Well, if we are going to allow God's divine love to invade our souls through and through, if we are going to allow that divine energy to charge us up, that love, that fire, then, well, my friends, our hands have to be palm up, open, ready to receive him. And I use that image, the palms up and, and open, because the very word disposition, coming from the Latin disponere, communicates that very image, the little one who, with arms outstretched and palms up, that's being predisposed. That's having that interior attitude of faith. Was Mary proud? No. Mary was the queen of the Anawim, the queen of the poor ones, the queen of those who are humble. She was in the Annunciation, Luke 1.28, when the angel Gabriel greets Mary, hail full of grace. She was predisposed. She was ready to receive the message. And so in this way, Mary is a model disciple of what it means to be poor in spirit, and consequently, why she literally incarnated the kingdom of heaven within her. If Jesus Christ is the kingdom of heaven, then, well, Mary, rightfully so, has a profound relationship with the kingdom of heaven. So, earlier I mentioned this serving to masters. You either belong to God or you belong to the world. You belong to the riches. You belong to the mammon. Essentially, he who is not with me is against me. Now, since membership is appropriately decided by the heart's allegiance, our first duty is detachment. Detachment. Not possessing things, but allowing ourselves to be possessed by God. It has been a reoccurring theme of late that ultimately I don't know if we could ever really say that we possess God as much as we can say God possesses us. Because the very nature of God is love, and love constantly gives itself away. So if the divine life of love is inside of you, what are you doing? You are giving that love away. And on the spiritual level, what God asks from us, and certainly we see this time and time again in Paul's letter, just not in his first letter to the Corinthians, but in all of his epistles, this call to be weak, this call to be empty. And what might he mean by that? Well, let me ask you a question. If I were to give you a bowl full of cereal, can I pour more cereal in it? No, because it's already full of cereal. Now, what if I dumped that cereal out, cleaned up the bowl, and handed you a new bowl with nothing in it? Well, certainly you'd be able to pour the cereal in it. Now, I know this might be a weak analogy for some of us, but the idea is there, right? The idea is there. 
You can't pour something into what is already full. And the only way in the Christian life we are going to get it right is if we are constantly emptying ourselves. Well, wait, Joe, but if I'm full of love, how can I do that? Well, that's my point. If you are giving that love away, what does that mean? Well, there's more room for God to give more of his love to you. So my friends, let us not fill up our bowls with things that don't belong to God, because if we do that, they become useless. Okay, so backtracking to verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? My dear friends, in the words of St. Augustine, all is grace, all is a gift from God, and let us recognize that as everything is a gift from God, as everything properly belongs to God, we must therefore praise God, honor God, be thankful to God and for God in all that He has done for us. And in so doing, we are claiming God as number one. And when we claim God as number one, we take that first step towards overcoming our pride, that ultimate vice, that ultimate sin of the adversary, and claim humility, claim being poor in God, to be poor in God. That is what we espouse towards. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening an evening from which to reflect into how we are called to avert pride and enter deeper into that all-important virtue of humility and its kin, spiritual poverty. We especially pray this evening through the intercession of Mother Mary, Queen of the Anawim, Queen of the Poor Ones, as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.